This is Melissa Ford Locken. Rosalie Petrowski. Susan Seraph and Jess. Editors for the Washington Square Review. Washington Square On Air showcases the poetry and fiction of the latest edition of LCC's literary journal, The Washington Square Review, read by the poets, authors, and editors themselves. Expect the unexpected as our contributors express experience and fantasy with humor, imagination, poetic license, irony, and passion. If you love language at its most original, please join us in our audio town square to celebrate a community of writers spanning from around the world to to Lansing. Lansing. Hi, this is Melissa Ford Locken. I'm one of the editors with the Washington Square Review. And today I'm happy to be with Terry Sandville, who's one of our authors. His short piece, Deciding for the Dead, was in our August issue from last year. So Terry, the first thing that I want to ask you is tell me a little bit about your piece. What was going on in your life when you wrote it? How does it reflect you? (laughs) Excellent questions, of course. This piece was interesting because it was the setting of the piece that drove the story. I was out taking a walk one day, and I was walking onto the local university campus here in San Luis Obispo, which is Cal Poly, and I found this almost natural garden that was located directly adjacent to a railroad and railroad tracks and near this uh, little stream. You had to push through the reeds to get to it, but once there, it was this almost manicured lawn area with with, uh, beautiful riparian habitat, lots of birds. And I sat down and sort of enjoyed that environment. And I guess my mind was thinking about getting older, about dying and and those kind of issues, which you think more about when you get older. And my imagination started to spin into high gear and deciding for the dead came about. That's was actually driven by the, by the setting, which is sort of unique for me. The story itself, the title says a lot. We decide for the dead all the time. You know, relatives of people who have died are faced with decisions of what to do, how a person should be interred. But in this case, the two young men in my story find this this old dead sailor next to this beautiful creek And one of them decides, with the other objecting but going along with it, it decides that they would let nature sort of decide. And the nature in this case was this rainstorm that was uh, forecast to deluge the area and the body would be washed away and and this, this young man's mind would be washed out to sea and the old sailor would join the love of his life, which was to see a very romantic issue. And the tension in the story is the tension between making that type of decision and the issue of should relatives and family and friends achieve some sort of closure by making the decision for how a person should be buried or, or cremated or whatever. So that's sort of the nut of the story. There's sort of a little twist at the end about the relatives of the dead person actually putting up flyers, offering a reward for information on where the old man had ended up. And the reward was substantial. 
So the boys lost out on that. But I think, you know, issues of mortality is something that is one thing I write about. The variety of things I write about is, is pretty broad, and that's just one of them. There's also a theme of friendship in the story. So there's tension between the two friends. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the boys is pre med. Uh, the other, I'm not sure, <laughs> which is probably was my case when I was in college initially. And yes, the tension between them is, is this issue of uh, what to do and what is appropriate. What is the moral thing to do in, in, in this case? And whose wishes should they satisfy? Is the one boy being uh, egocentric and egotistical about and romantic about the disposition of the dead person? And is the other one the sort of counterpart, the, the realist who says, well, the cops are going to come and, you know, then we'll get into it. We don't want that. Or if we don't report them, we're breaking the law. Uh, not reporting the dead body, we're breaking the law. So the two characters sort of play off against each, each other to expose some of the dimensions of the issue at hand. So, and they're friends, you know, <laughs> and uh, I think the point of view character, um, the issue will be with him for the rest of his life. And uh, that's okay with him, his friend, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> that's the fun thing about a short story is you can have that kind of impact on the reader to use their imagination at the end to think about what happened with the characters after yeah. the page ends. Yeah, well, my stories often answer some questions, but leave others for the reader to ponder. And I also try to leave plenty of space for the reader to exercise their own imagination in filling in some of the blanks. Short stories, you know, you can't do as much characterization. You can't do as much history. You can't do as much... Uh, a setting development, but I think they're an excellent form of literature to allow the reader to sort of fill in those gaps and exercise their imagination. So I write fairly sparsely. My writers group that I meet with uh, every couple of weeks, there's always tensions between us because we have some of the writers who, who want to really spell out everything and answer everything. And the other ones that say, no, don't put too much in there. You know, you just need enough, just enough to allow people to think about it and take it away. And, and I think the shorter is better these days anyway. My theory is that attention spans for long form literature is becoming more and more rare. <laughs> and uh, I think it's one of the reasons why flash fiction is becoming more and more popular is that you can read it, you can feel the impact, and you can move on. It's, it's not an investment in a lot of time and, and mental energy. Edgar Allan Poe had a famous quote about books and stories that you should be able to read that all in one reading. So, so it's, it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a well-established idea. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. I'm yeah. curious, you said that setting isn't usually what drives your stories, so what usually sparks your interest in generates a new idea? Boy, um, there's probably a dozen different factors that give me ideas for stories. I think it's a, a well-known element that 
one's own life is a treasure trove of ideas for short stories. And I have mined the living hell out of my own life and the lives of my friends and my family and anybody else I know. So characters in themselves and elements in their life can be what I call story seeds. Things that happen to us in life really don't have all the components of a short story, but there are wonderful story seeds that you can plant and grow the story around them. And so the lives of friends and family and my own life and experiences are a rich source of, of ideas that I mine all the time. But the environment is one source. I'm writing a story right now. We've, we've had a lot of rain out here in California, uh, unusual. We went from severe drought to reservoirs full and water aplenty. So I'm writing a story that is based really on an environmental factor. And in those cases, the environment actually becomes a character and it can become a dominant character, not a point of view character, but, but, but a very dominant character. And I do a fair amount of reading. And so, you know, other people's work, I uh, have to be careful about that uh, because I look for the seeds in literature and not the stories themselves. I'm very careful about and very closed in about coming up with my own ideas. So I try never to follow the story idea that I've, I've read in other sources, but I can't help but being influenced and spark ideas from, from reading. So reading, you know, what else is new, you know, writers read, you know, I just have some topics of interest that I explore too in my writing, like music. I've, I've had a dozen or two stories that I've written that, that where music is an important part because I'm also a musician. You know, there's a whole emotional background of that that plays into developing my ideas. One thing that I did, I'll close with this uh, in answer to your question. One thing I did as a novice writer is a friend of mine and I, we did what I call and others call challenge writing. We basically gave ourselves an assignment write a story uh, written where the point of view character is not our gender. For guys, having point of view characters that are, are, are female is, is always a challenge as a novice. Uh, write a story in the second person. Who the heck does that? Nobody. For a good reason, by the way. <laughs> um, write stories in different persons and, and different tenses write stories on particular topics that we know nothing about and write stories in all the genres, you know, write a romance, write a Western, write a science fiction story to have someone that you can do that with and challenge each other to come up with stories and be very supportive for each other was really helpful in the first years when I was writing short fiction. And it was a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, um, we actually wrote an erotica story, which uh, one of the stipulations was when you were done, we were done writing the erotica story, we had to read it to our wives and to our critique groups and see their responses. My uh, challenge writing partner was reticent to do that. He was embarrassed <laughs> by the writing. But I think broadening out and and trying to experience the various forms of fiction 
and the various topics is really important as a developmental issue, you know. Uh, and I, I write short stories that are general interest and literary, but I also write science fiction and and uh, magical realism and some other subgenres that are very interest to me. So the, that challenge writing helped that. So that's where ideas can come from. Partner up. I'm curious about where you got your start writing because you were kind enough to send me some information about your background. And so cool. I know you have a background in architecture and public administration and city and regional planning. So that's quite different than creative writing. You think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it is creative though, right? Oh, well, well, yeah. As as a, uh, I worked as a, a, a public agency a city planner, and um, we could get creative, but not too creative. <laughs> um, I I always equate writing technical pieces for government agencies and producing creative writing pieces. A technical writing is to badminton, as creating writing is to tennis. They both involve a net, they involve rackets, but the principles for doing either form of literature are different, substantially different. Some of the things that you strive for in technical writing, clarity, organization, accuracy, completeness, you play with in creative writing. Organization, you have flashbacks and flash forwards and dream sequences and all sorts of wonderful stuff that you never would include in a technical writing piece. So I wrote as a city planner for 30 years and I would produce five to 10,000 words a day. And it took me probably two years to lose my government speak language because over time in most professions, the legal profession, architecture profession, uh, there's a, a vocabulary and a structure of your writing that you develop that has really no place in, in fiction. Not to mention the fact that in technical writing, you really don't talk about characters. You never use dialogue. You downplay emotion and you avoid conflict at all costs. And those are the very things that you focus on in, in, in creative writing. So it took a few years to transition before I started to submit my first stories. And I look back on the first story that I had published and I was so embarrassed because I didn't know S from Shinola at the time. And uh, I submitted it in the wrong format, you know, didn't give all the contact information they needed. But, you know, the publication, which was a magazine called Grit out of uh, Topeka, Kansas, they phoned me up, actually, the one of three phone calls I've ever received from from up. And they phoned me up and, and said, we want to publish it. And, and I was surprised and embarrassed as I learned that there's all these sort of format and procedural ways of going about submitting that I had to learn. Uh, but yeah, architecture, city planning to creative writing was, there was a, de a definite transition there that was challenging. Why did you do it? <laughs> Why did you start the creative writing? Why did, did you, I start it? Yeah. Well, because everybody yeah, starts for different reasons. Yeah, well, I think I was always a storyteller. 
I think there's some people that just like telling stories. Um, and I like to write. But after 30 years of government work and technical writing, I could have went into consulting. And that's what a lot of retired uh, architects and city planners, especially urban planners, do. But it's more the same. And I wanted to hang a sharp left in, in my life. I wanted to do something different. But I still wanted to write. And I like telling stories. So I had to learn how to do that on the page. So far, I've been relatively successful. I was kind of teasing you, asking you, you know, why did you do it? Because, you know, as you know, writing can be a, a tough business and it's a lot of work. But what I'm yeah. um, hearing you say is that you had a good work ethic. You were used to producing yeah. words. Yeah, yeah. I, I would write for, out of an eight-hour workday, I would probably be writing for five hours of that. And the other stuff would be organizational office stuff <laughs> um, and communications. And today, um, writing creatively, I probably write for four or five hours a day. I produce maybe two short stories a month. And uh, I just had my 300th short story published not too long ago. So, you know, nice thing about short fiction, by the way, for, for people out there who are interested in creative writing is, one, it's short. <laughs> You're done with it. <laughs> uh, and, and number two, if you write well, it satisfies the writer's ego in a more constant stream than writing long fiction. Writing a novel, and I've done that too, is um, sometimes a multi-year commitment. And the feedback you've received from that is different. There's many, 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 many authors out there who sell 250 copies of their book, and that's the end of it. Whereas I thought about the idea of submitting to journals throughout the world, internationally and, and nationally, and having little pockets of readers all over the place, uh, reading my work for 10 minutes and taking away something. And that sort of marketing, if you want to call it model, was very attractive to me. So I like spreading my work out over the U.S., Canada, mostly, but Europe, and any, any place else that produces English-speaking uh, journals and magazines. When you made the transition to the creative writing, how did you study? Did you take courses, learn from friends, read books? Well, I, I immediately joined a writer's group, and it was made up of novice and seasoned writers, so there was a good mix. And I simply started producing stories and studying short stories that others have produced. So, yeah, I, I didn't take any formal courses. Now I end up giving lectures on marketing and, and, <laughs> and how to come up with short story ideas. But I wasn't ready to go back to school, although I know a lot of people who do that gain immensely from that experience. I'm um, like my uh, guitar playing. I am a self-taught fiction writer. Is there anything that you wish you had known that you know now when you started? <laughs> uh, well, it's funny. The first story, the first story, the very first story I, I uh, sold, they paid me $800 for it, for a 3,000-word short story. 
And so I'm going, this is my first story. This is going to be great. I mean, money isn't the center of my interest, but, but I thought this could be sort of fun. That was the first and last time I ever earned that much for, for a single piece. Because as we all know, we give our work away. We short story writers, uh, I end up getting paid for about 15% of my submissions. And 85% is a contributor's copy of the journal or magazine, maybe. <laughs> and um, the publicity that it, that it brings. Now, if I would have known that ahead of time, would I have changed uh, my, my strategy? Probably not. But uh, it would have been nice to know. The nice thing about being published as a short story writer is it helps with submitting and dealing with publishers of novels. So it's a resume building issue. When I tell publishers of novels that I 381 different magazines and anthologies have published my fiction, that has an impact. And so it's beneficial in that regards. But yeah, yeah. If you're a short story writer exclusively, don't don't bet on making a lot of dollars doing it. <laughs> well, before we say goodbye, are there any first reads that you would recommend to readers? So after they read your piece, Deciding for the Dead in the Washington Square Review, what would you suggest they read next? Uh, I'm happy you asked me that. I have two short story collections. One was put out by the Main Street Rag, publishing in 2022. The title of the work is The Last Time You Were Here. And it's a collection of 28 different short stories that have a touch of magical realism to them. So it, it's it's a Twilight Zone updated to the 21st century. But my latest collection is called Driving Without Lights. And it's published by Austin McCulley Publishing. And it's available on Amazon and directly from the publisher. And it includes 17 stories that are based around the lives of people who live on this little dead end street on the west side of Santa Barbara, California. So what's the, the, the novel Winesburg, Ohio uh, by Sherwood Anderson, I think. I'm always getting authors mixed up where he took a fixed setting and a fixed group of people and told a number of stories by shifting the points of view and, and picking characters that overlapped between stories. I've done the same thing with Driving Without Lights. I think it's a wonderful read and I encourage people to, to grab a copy. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for joining us and we appreciate you spending time with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our talented poets and authors. Until next time, this has been Washington Square On Air. Where we showcase selections from Lansing Community College's literary journal, The Washington Square Review, a publication featuring writers from the Great Lakes State, across the nation, and around the world. To find out more about the Washington Square Review, visit lcc.edu slash WSR. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed sharing. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This Wednesday and Thursday, 
Lansing Community College presents Starscapes, the student showcase of creative, imaginative, and interesting work. Starscapes is open to the public and will take place in the Gannon Building on LCC's downtown campus April 26th and 27th. For more information, visit lcc.edu starscapes. As I went through school, one giant question loomed over me. What did I want to be? But in order to know what I wanted to be, I had to first decide what I wanted to make. I wanted to make more. So I became a teacher. Now I make learning a privilege, not a chore. And frustration, a tool, not an obstacle. I make working hard seem easy and giving up impossible. I make an old subject feel like a fresh thought and unconventional methods common. I make material things less important and little things like patience and kindness count. I make weekdays more exciting than weekends and classrooms feel like anything but. I make things different, which is all I ever hoped for. I'm a teacher. I make more. Find out how you can make more at teach.org. Make more. Teach. Brought to you by Teach and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Melissa Kaplan, and I host a show called Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. It's all about the creativity in our classrooms and on campus here at LCC and the connections we have with the community. You can catch Galaxy Forum here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. Lansing Community College's Business and Community Institute provides businesses with customized, synergistic trainings that realize logistical opportunity. Learn more about the future of business today at lcc.edu bci. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Community Combos, a podcast and radio program from LCC Connect with conversations about what's happening in Lansing and around mid-Michigan. Did you see me down that water? <laughs> sort of. I didn't know it was the whole thing. Oh, yeah, down the whole thing. Now you're going to have to burp. <laughs> this is Dedalian, and it is time once again for uh, Community Combos, or the combo as I like to call it. Joining me in the studio. What a weird start, bro. What? You didn't Did like you the start? Did you see me down, the, you down that whole water? Like, <laughs> no one starts a show like that. Dedalian does. <laughs> as you can tell, somebody I've known for quite a while, and always a pleasure to have him in the studio. It is Metro Malik. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm so happy you called to yeah. invite me on your show. Well, I'm happy you answered the call. <laughs> of course. I'm like, oh, it's Dedalian. I brought you in because it's coming up again. Yes, it is. is. 517-day. And uh, when is it happening this year? Can I do the backstory first? Well, I was going to get into the backstory later, but yeah. all right. So the Lancey yeah, made the fi- no, no, nope. I'm do- you're it's the your, boss. It's your it's podcast. It's your ship. Now. It's your <laughs> podcast now. <laughs> all right. For anybody ready to check out, five one seven day begins on the thirteenth of May at noon until five p.m. at the corner of Cesar Chavez and Large Street at the 500 block right there in the corner where Grand River Bait and Tackle used to be, where right. Replay used to be. It's in that parking lot. You're going to see music. You're going to see fun. You're going to see a whole lot of cool stuff. Is the backstory you're going to give me is that revolving around why it's on 513 instead of 517? 
Sort of. Okay. And it leads to what's happening that week. So okay. it started off as a hashtag, 517 day. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And that was like right, eight, right. nine years ago. I was like, kept seeing these hashtags. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And then people are like, what's 517 day? And I'm like, it's where the calendar meets the area code. And then people right. go, oh. Right. So that started about 10 years ago as a hashtag on Twitter. And then I saw people soon after that saying, hey, come to Bob's Beer Emporium and get a beer for $5.17. And my thought process, that's not as cool as it could be. Someone needs to create a party for the people of the people in the 517. You've got how many people? Millions of people in the 517. In the 517, yeah, yeah. That's where the backstory goes, where the calendar meets the area code, and then the party started. So I started this at the banks of the Grand River at the Lansing City Market. And I was like, no, we need to have a party and I will promote it and I will bring my music and I will DJ and I will bring all the stuff and you don't have to do anything, but just give me the space. And then three weeks before they canceled me. Oh, wow. So anyway, whatever. But I called Paul Brogan. I'm like, you still got keys to that, don't you? And you're like, yeah, do you think we can sneak in a party? And he's like, yeah, I said, this is what I want to do. So I messed around and called like 50 people. And got all these yeses. I called Paul Brogan back the next day at Rivertown Adventures. I go, oh, I got a problem. He's like, what? My little party that I wanted to throw is big. This, this is the backstory <laughs> that we couldn't get into, right? Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, no. We, you don't want to. You, you don't want to. But wanna, that's how it's. It. No, that's how it started. So I had to call Lepfa. I said to send an email to, what's his name? What's his name? Two first names. Scott Keith. Okay. And I'm like, um, so I already created this event. Is it okay? And his first line was, yeah, I've heard about this. <laughs> and then he just gave me three bullet points of what I had to do to make it happen. That's how it all started <laughs> from just being a hashtag to an event. And to now, an event. and now to bring it all forward. Yes. The week of is art attack that used to be yes, yeah, in yeah, real yeah, town, yeah, yeah. but it went away. It came back. Instead of just being in real town, they're taking it making it all that week. So my event is the 13th, but there's things happening all throughout the week that you'll be able to find on the art attack application. That sounds like a plus. I would like to say I spearheaded it and other people are jumping on and having their own events all throughout the week. That's How very cool good. is that? That's very good. It is happening 513 this year just because of the timing of, uh, of the calendar, right? Because I have kids. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's not what I expected you to say, but that's fair. Well, the children and the stuff and this, that, and the other. But that's my event because I'm trying to bring attention to the 500 block of Old Town because people go up and down Turner Street, and that's where events usually are. Okay. Right? They close down Turner Street, and you yeah. have the events there. Yep. And so a lot of people don't know that Cosmos is in Old Town. Right. So we have Oracle's Apothecary. Is a really cool shop. Now my shop, Metro Malik 517, Grace Boutique, Maria's Mexican Cuisine. We have all these cool stuff. And then the redevelopment of the Temple Club, which is now the Temple Building. We hit on a lot of stuff there. Let's get to the... You, the, you knew who you had. I know. Them. I know. And I know this happens every time you get in here. Uh, let's get to the crux of why do people want to attend? They want to attend. What, so what's happening? See, what's 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 going to be there? You're going to see local people doing cool local stuff. So we have musicians throughout the day, starting off with group doctors, which are three MSU professors. They're going to be playing this jazz fusion reggae pop version of things. Nice. And then we have Mark Grinnell that's going to do like old school rock and then Sean Michael for a little bit of hip hop. And then you have the Black Barn Band from three to five. So music Our from talented noon. Group right there. Yeah. From yeah. noon to five. That's been booked and that's all very much think, got to thank the sponsors. It's uh, Addis Enterprises mm. that is uh, covering that. Very cool. What about the Gators? What, what can the Gators do there? 
Anything? The alligators? No, the kiddos. Oh, we're going to have, um, I got a lot of good, cool toys, and then we're looking to get Parks and Rec to come out. Lansing Parks and Rec to come out. They've got a vehicle called Play with some cool stuff in it. I think games and stuff like that. All right, we hit the uh, the why right off the bat. We hit the uh, when. We hit the, see, what else do we got? When? How? What, where? How? How? You just come out, it's free. Yes, that's what I wanted to get just to. Just come out, it's free. Yeah, and, and I mean, let's circle back to the why. And this is why I wanted to ask you now. Why did you start doing this? Because I know you ask yourself that every year. Well, because I really wanted the people to be able to have a party and see what's cool about the 517. The thought was, you're seeing local people doing local stuff. Now, my hoop dream is what's kind of what's happening now. If you've ever been to Noel Night in the Museum District in downtown Detroit, mm-hmm. Detroit Public Library across okay. the DIA. I mean, I haven't, but I get what you're Noel talking about. Noel Night has been going on for 40, 50 years, and 100,000 people come out, and they do a great thing celebrating the holidays, right? Mm-hmm. But it's all over the city. Imagine if 517 events happen all over the 517 that's a festival that would be awesome yeah yeah that's a fest that's a festival of festivals do you anticipate it'll get that big we just yes yes look at that positive attitude how could it not how could it not all right the who the what the why did we hit it all the who what what's why, the website when, what 517day.com. How easy is that? Yeah, that is number an easy five, one. Number 5, number 1, number 7, D-A-Y.com. And what year is this that you're I doing I think that? it's 6. Uh, you did take a year off on COVID, right? No, it was a TV show for two years. Okay, okay. But So it was a different reiteration. It wasn't in sure. person, but sure. I did a, a two-hour TV special. But that's what I love about you in this event. Very much a do-it-yourself kind of a vibe. And I appreciate that you do it every year. It is a lot of work, and I know that. Even though some of the stuff's coming to you now, you still have to work through the process. Oh, the process is colossal and a giant pain in the tuchus. Yeah, and yeah. it's not cheap. No, like even though it's a, it looks like it's just a janky picnic, but it's still not you cheap. Still right? Raise that sponsorship and <laughs> right? do everything else you do with right? any other festival. You got to pay so, the yeah. band, and like the some of the bands and musicians, they're like, I only want such and such. I go, you actually mean such and such, which is the bigger number. You have to haul off your stuff. You have to take off at least a half a day. Yeah. You have to come out and perform. You've put your songs together. You've practiced. Like, it's not 30 bucks. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's more than that. But I also love that you also try to maintain it being just a free event for folks to come out. And it has to be. It's a family-oriented event. Yes. There's a lot of great stuff about it. Yeah. So, did we hit on all the who, what? Because here's the thing. You always, every time I talk to you, man, I can't seem to focus because you always <laughs> throw me in a different direction. I, but who, what, when, but where, I, why? I warned you before we began you I was going to do that. You didn't need to warn me. I already knew. But I need people to know that I started that thing, taking it off of the hashtag and putting it into the event. The reason why that's important to me, because a lot of times people don't get credit where credit is due. And so I have to Muhammad Ali this. (laughs) You float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. And bring the 517 day to thee. You've been listening to Community Convos, a program from LCC Connect with conversations about what's happening in our community. To listen to this episode on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org or find us on your favorite podcast platform. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on Community Convos, email us lcc-connect at lcc.edu. And thanks so much for joining The Convo.
featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, MidMichigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship, offering graduating high school seniors who live within the Lansing School District and attend a high school within district boundaries an opportunity to attend LCC. The scholarship offers 65 credits over the course of four years from high school graduation. For more information on the Lansing Promise Scholarship at LCC, please visit lcc.edu hope. Nowadays, it seems like people believe they can do everything themselves. But while it's cool to do some things on your own, when it comes to the health of your teeth and gums, the do-it-yourself approach can leave you with very little to smile about. Trying to close a gap or straighten your teeth yourself can increase the risk of infection and serious damage to your teeth and gums, including tooth loss. Replacing lost teeth is expensive, and a person may require multiple replacements over the course of a lifetime. The American Association of Orthodontists wants everyone to know that moving teeth is a healthcare procedure. It needs the personal supervision of an expert. Orthodontists are experts in moving teeth and aligning jaws. They have two to three years of specialized education beyond dental school in an accredited orthodontic residency program. Your smile deserves a specialist. Orthodontists are the specialists who will make sure that your own smile is your best smile. For more, visit mylifemysmile.org. Founded in 1957, LCC has addressed the needs of Michigan industries through education for more than 65 years. Anchored by the downtown campus located in the heart of Lansing, LCC serves mid-Michigan communities with additional campuses in Delta Township, East Lansing, and Livingston County. The college offers more than 200 degrees and certificate programs and is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Those interested in learning more about LCC may visit lcc.edu slash youbelong. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. It's time for Stars on Sports, a podcast radio show dedicated to sharing stories about our athletic program at Lansing Community College. LCC Athletics has a strong tradition. 23 national championship wins. Over 170 All-Americans. 19 MCCAA All-Sports Trophies. Stars on Sports will introduce you to individuals that have contributed to our program's success and give you the backstory on what it takes to develop it. We'll also dive into and break down the topics and issues facing athletic departments across the nation and right here at LCC. This is Stars on Sports. Welcome to another episode of Stars on Sports. Today I'm joined by our assistant AD and baseball coach, Stephen Cutter. First thing I want to talk about, Stephen, is our facility. 
LCC has invested in our athletic program and over the length of this podcast, we've been in temporary offices and over the last week we have moved into our renovated offices on the fourth floor and just very exciting for our department. Still getting settling in, still figuring out things up there, paths, what works, what doesn't work, still have some walls to decorate, But as we move up there, one of the neat things for me throughout this process is LCC did a lot of the work on their own, our electricians, our painters, our plumbing, and talking to them how a lot of them are youth coaches or, or coaches in general and just love sports. They just took such good care of us and put a lot of nice touches up there It is going to pay off long-term for us in recruiting and efficiency and effectiveness. Talking to one coach, a veteran coach, and I'll quote Coach Ingram on this, he gets up there and hadn't seen it throughout the process and said, it feels like a department now instead of a bunch of offices. And again, that's a tribute to our architects and the people involved in the committee that met throughout to really give us something to be proud up there. And we still got a lot of work to do to make it home and our own and, and get student athletes up there. But not many people know we're on the fourth floor of the Gannon building. We're up there all by ourselves. When I first started here, I hit the fourth floor in the elevator and, and the lady said, you must be the athletic director. I think, how'd you know that? She goes, no one goes to the fourth floor. Um, and we want people up there. We were currently uh, stored on the first floor, which was fun because there was a lot more traffic and interaction down there. And we got right. to meet some new departments. I believe you're as excited as me to be up there and make that home for many years and, and celebrate. Our goal throughout this process was one, to create a space of collaboration, but also a space to celebrate our, our rich history, which that's probably the work we have yet to move forward is to add that piece to it. But I think the foundation is there for a good start for our department. I think build. it's it's really exciting, not only for coaches, for yourself, and it's been a lot of work. Obviously, we're trying to move, we're trying to get things to work, a lot of brand new stuff. It's really exciting. But if you step back and think about what's really important, it's the student athletes or the students here, and it's the people here. We have multiple areas on the fourth floor now that are just really conducive to coming up, getting away from the crowds that you might see. And it's a great place where you can study and and you can kick back, you can read or, or whatever it might be. But there's really three areas that are super conducive to that. And that's something that we haven't had in the past. Anytime that you're a student or a student athlete here, there's going to be some downtime in between practices or study tables or whatever it might be. And to have another area that student athletes can go to is incredible. And that was our main focus throughout that was to keep the spotlight in the space on student athletes. Obviously, it houses our coaches' offices, but just the natural lighting in there because all our natural lighting was a storage room in the past. And now that's the main congregation area for our student athletes is where where all the natural lighting is. You have some nice windows in your office too now. I do. I get to overlook the gym now where my old office had the scoreboard on the other side. So every time they ring the buzzer, it, I mean, it was loud in my office. I'm like, whoa, wake me up. You know, so I, I've really benefited and I hope all our coaches do. And, and there, you know, there are pros and cons. All our equipment was built for our previous office and we got all new furniture, but the stuff that you collected and have. So now we're trying to figure out how it fits into your current office. Moving has never been a fun project for me, obviously, because I probably 
keep too much stuff and need to throw things away. To your point of the technology we have up there, the TVs, the monitors, you know, that we developed so coaches could have productive meetings. We have a TV that the whiteboard that coaches can use for to instruct student athletes. So some very nice touches. Yeah, I talked about our painters and our electricians and our plumbing, but our, our technology people really hooked us up to help our coaches be more effective with instruction. You have a favorite part so far yet up there? Or? The moving's nothing new to me. I typically move every couple of years <laughs> anyway, so that it's fairly easy. But for the most part, I think the transition's been pretty good. Figuring out how to get everything working and, and get everybody up there's been a whole nother thing because there isn't a ton of direction of traffic. So yes, we have some amazing areas for the student athletes, but a lot of them don't even know that it exists or it's open. I think we took our leadership group up there at some point, our student athlete advisory group, and we asked them, we were showing them how new and everything was. And we had about 12 people in that group at that point, and only one of them had been on the fourth floor ever before you know so there's a piece of that where we need to be able to show people like hey you know this is what's here and i, I know you, you have up your sleeve and open house coming down the road with and i had the same experience with our shipping and receiving i brought them up there and there were four people and only one had been up there before to see what it previous looked like and even if you hadn't seen the faith the new space is incredible it, it's very inviting and very open and just looks very cool and, and we're not done because we will have an open house and we want to have like meetings like this you know, remote podcasts up there or other student affair meetings to come up and use our meeting spaces just to help them get familiar with our space because we have tried to show throughout our podcast here, but our time here, and I'm hoping you're not planning on moving anytime soon, so I'm going to keep working hard on preventing that from happening. But um, now we have a great space to host right. some of those events. And it fits in. I mean, if, if you walk into TLC or, or you walk into Arts and Sciences or the Star Zone or these different places, they are incredible. You walk outside, you have so many different areas that are just really nice and new. And now the athletic department is the same. So it's exciting. And that's a good point. LCC done an excellent job of investing in their infrastructure and the buildings and there are a lot of great spaces on I mean, campus parking here. Ramp. I think we got the best parking ramp in Lansing at this point. So I'm yeah. gonna argue we have the best parking lot in the state. I, yeah, I'm not a parking ramp person, but I am I've I feel seen, pretty I've seen good. You park before, so, hey, yeah, right. uh, we talk about parking. I was out of the lines again today. I I walk out and then I look I, I get back in my car, turn it on and move and park more. Oh. You, you held me accountable and back, I am doing better. Backside of the story I was leaving one day had to practice and I look and there's Greg's car parked in like two parking spaces prime spots no less so I, t- I took a picture and I was like you know there's lines for a reason you know and so he, he's working on it so, so Greg is the guy I yell at every time I pull into a parking space right yeah. I'm not that bad I don't take two <laughs> spots but I was definitely can't. over the line and they're not very so big the next line. person that pulled into his right side would not have been able to get out of their door they would have had to get out the passenger door yeah yeah <laughs> And he actually used bottom third in my in my of my driving abilities. I mean, I just had that the other day where I had to walk sideways to get to my door. Yeah. So yeah, was, you're probably parked next to Greg's. <laughs> well, I'm I'm, the, I'm perfect the, the, the two times that you told me. I and I mean right down the middle, and I have a smaller car than you do, and you yeah. do well. So I do not want to be one of those people. I don't get mad. I don't judge. I don't get right. mad at those people. Right. Probably the the biggest challenge of that ramp is the narrowness 
of the parking spots. But other than that, it is a beautiful facility. Again, we just went through a basketball season in the Gannon building and parking was as probably as easiest as it's ever been. You know, whenever we host events, one of the calls I get is where can I park? And each floor is so big. We have enough on the third floor that all our event people can park there and they walk right mm -hmm. in. We have beautiful monitors there that we've worked with digital media to put announcements up there so they know where to go. So And even if they don't, you if you park on the first floor and you're trying to get to the third floor, there's elevators right inside the doors that will take you to the third floor. So it's really set up really well for even people that don't necessarily know where to park or where to go. It's still super easy to get to where you need to get. And it's huge. I argue if you park at the northernmost end of the parking ramp, I think the parking ramp on Capitol is a closer walk than if you parked on the end really? of that parking ramp. It's that long to me. When it was closed, we'd have to park on Capitol sometimes, and it's a nice little walk through campus. I'm a distance runner, so I think I'm pretty good with distance. I'm pretty sure that that would be closer. I keep going up a level until it's you know closer to the building, and I'll take the stairs. But you know that parking ramp is a beautiful accessory to our athletic program, and and they're still working on it. I mean, you see every day. So just as we talk about our office isn't done, and even in your home, some things never get done. So it's a continuous work in progress. We'll learn some things that work and don't work that we might need to adjust over time, but it's a great start and great to be up there. Did you answer what your favorite part was up there? Did you talk, you were saying the three meetings areas or? Yeah, I think it's the areas for the student athletes. Okay, Me too. I, I like the more, the natural lighting. I, I do like the congregation area that we have. They really did take care of us. And you know, as we talk about facilities, they're so important in our business. And we briefly touched on them in the past. I mean, as we head into the spring season, you know, we talked about weather in one of our previous podcasts and how important having nice facilities is. And when I talk to our coaches and student athletes, it's about respecting your facility and taking care of it. And many of our student athletes have to take care of their own facility. They're very important to what we do. Whenever we travel on the road, we always talk to our coaches and I try and go to many other facilities as I can, as I know you do too, and, and try and learn from them. What can we can and we can't do? And we're fortunate you know, to have either nice facilities that are school-owned or that we work with the city of Lansing on. I think we take for granted for facilities too much in our, in our world today. And going through this construction process has helped us appreciate more of what we have and, and even, you know, being off campus playing some of our sports. It's good to be home. And as we head out into the spring season, getting facilities ready. You kind of mentioned that the spring season has started. And do you feel like, at least with your roles, is it more challenging now that the sports teams are outside versus winter season that the teams are ideally in the gym this year it was a little bit different because we were off site but typically they're on site and typically your spring sports are off site so is that more challenging for you it is more challenging you know even as we mentioned with the construction process i have a window now that overlooks the gym so i can see what's going on if they're missing something i can tell once you're off site, you're very independent of if you forget something or if you need to make another copy of something or if you need ice and water, you have to work with the city, like, you know, getting foul poles up or making sure bases are where they we left them last spring. And our coaches do an excellent job of maintaining the facility, but definitely a significant challenge when 
facilities are farther away from your home base, which is our, our office area, just for a number of reasons. You know, I have coolers in my office that I mark to carry there and waters and stuff for the officials. Yeah, maybe and, someday and school equipment. We've talked about the parking ramp a little bit, but maybe someday those parking lots that were used to be used all the time will, will get used for, uh, you know, some on-site athletic fields. We have a dream and we have a plan, and I, I believe the, the, the school has that same vision and plan. And I don't want to be greedy because we're just wrapping up a very nice renovation for the athletic department. My understanding is that is the goal of the college at least look into and invest sure. in some baseball and softball fields and even other facilities. I know we've had Mary Crows on here, and she would like a fitness center gym or another jugglery right. gym or on campus too. And in our business, we're always trying to get better and be better and, and see what other people have and either become better than that. So it sometimes comes across greedy, but it's just almost a game or competition. When they come to LCC for an event, I want it to be the best community college event they went to in sports, that year. In sports, you see that everywhere. It's not just the college level, but it's a high school level as well. You know, if a school builds a incredible football stadium and is first one to put turf in, then everybody in the conference is, is trying to keep up. They're trying to uh, make upgrades to their stadium. The same thing happens in college. It doesn't matter what level you're at. At the junior college level right now, what's happening is video boards for for baseball and and softball, and those are going in in the south, and now other teams are trying to do the same. Before that, you'd only see video boards at minor and major league stadiums. So it's, it's constantly trying to keep up, and that keeping up is not necessarily a greed thing. It's a way of recruiting. You know, whether it's a high school level or the college level, you're trying to get people to come to your campus, come to your college, your high school, whatever it might be, because you have really nice things to offer. And that's where athletics really drives that piece of it. It's marketing. You're right. It's recruiting and marketing. As we talk a number of times on this podcast about music and athletics, bringing people to campus a lot of spectators come to our facilities and it, it's a marketing tool. It's it's a tool of branding for LCC of what they leave with. As I talked about, when our coaches go somewhere else, we can give a thumbs up or thumbs down. Well, what was that facility nice or not? It's huge impression on when people come. I, and we get a lot of compliments when people come to our gymnasium, like this is a nice gym and we take good care of it. Our maintenance department keeps it clean and keeps it up to date. So everything is working because it's constant. Whether you're investing in new things such as technology and video boards, you still got to keep up on the bleachers and the scoreboards and, and mm-hmm. lights that are in there. And we again got new lights and a new HVAC system in Gannon throughout this process to that go underrated, but it's a brighter gymnasium. That makes people happier. It makes photographers happier. When I first started in the business, the parents got a job in that community, and then they moved into that community. Over the last 10 years, we would get parents that would come visit us, come visit three other local schools, and then determine where they were moving to, and then their parent just worked in that general vicinity. So that changed, so you had to. But why? Why do you think that changed? Two things I think it changed. One is commuting people are willing to commute more instead of just you know i move into the community where my kids go to school and i work there which is crazy because gas prices are insane it's not like we've got really really cheap gas prices where people are like it's no big deal to drive the maintenance of cars is a lot more you know get your oil changed or you know buy new tires everything is more expensive so why are people willing to commute so much today versus maybe where they were 10 years ago what's changed the technology in the cars i've 
in your truck, you're sitting in a lazy boy in there. You know, if, uh, if for an hour I could sit in that car and drive. And then the second thing is back to competition and, and even sports and music or even academic program. Parents are looking at where's the best one for my kid. If I'm a music kid, I might go to this school. If I'm an athletic kid, I might go to this school. If I'm a AP kid with more AP classes, I might go to this one because I can commute. So what drives that is people and facilities at the end of the day. And you've got to have really good people and you've got to have really good facilities. Otherwise, the people are not going to come there. They're not going to just get a job there and send their kids to school there. They're, they're going to look for who has the best people and who has the best facilities. And we're not just talking about sports, but mm -hmm. in, in general. And that's why you see what you see today. And that's why things have changed so exponentially, even at the high school level. There are some incredible high school football fields. There's mm -hmm. an incredible high school softball and, yep. and baseball fields. And it's been driven by that piece of it. That's what attracts people. Yeah. They're building indoor facilities right now, multi-purpose indoor mm -hmm. facilities at the high school level. Football, spring sports, even additional winter sport mm -hmm. practice facility, though they've become a popular trend at the high school level. It's, I a, mean, it's a great thing to do, especially in, in a state like Michigan, where it's a cold weather state. It's a wonderful thing to do. Where I came from, Muskegon, they, they had just built one at, at Whitehall High School. And it's just an incredible facility. And 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 that's, that's what happens. You just have to adapt instead of complaining about how bad the weather is or how much rain we get in March or snow or whatever it is. I, I think Lansing just came in at like 50 some inches of snow so far for this winter, which is insane. I, you know, I moved from Muskegon to kind of get away from that a little bit. But instead of complaining about it, people are building facilities and stuff, whether it's just turf or these indoor places that kind of mitigates everything. And that's ahead of the curve kind of thinking. Dadali, I just think we got a meteorology report on this podcast <laughs> and from sponsored by Lansing Baseball, Lansing Stars Baseball. But very that's an interesting point. Now we're not gonna talk long about weather that previous, but it does seem like the middle of the state got hit harder, like that kind of bell curve here this winter more than the other parts of the yeah. state. And I was in some of the other parts of the yeah. state, and they did not have the snow yeah. that we had, which goes back to impacting us as we try and open up outdoors, you know, running track, baseball and softball in the coming weeks. Yeah, I think everybody's above average, even uh, places like Grand Rapids, I think top three or four snowiest winters of all time, you know, so. And you know why that is? I'm going to give you another meteorology. I read this, I'm not 100% okay. sure, but so I said that. Farmer's Be Almanac? Um, <laughs> yeah, but because the, because the Great Lakes didn't freeze when they don't freeze, yeah. there's more precipitation right. because there's water there and it like, picks it up and brings it over the, the land. So that causes more snow when, when, the, when the Great Lakes don't freeze early. Stars I, on weather. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We could spend it's all a new day, show. We could spend all day talking about Michigan weather and the good, bad, and, and stay out of the politics of climate change. Well, I wasn't planning to spend the whole time talking about facilities, but it, it was a nice conversation that led us to different places. And again, thank you, LCC and Tim Martz and and for you know providing us with a brand new space up on the fourth floor in the Gannon building. And for those people yes. out there listening, come and visit us and you know, sure. we'll greet you with open arms and, and share with you how happy we are at being, being a star. Stars on Sports is recorded live at the WLNZ studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Didalian Lowry. You can listen to this episode and other episodes of Stars on Sports on demand at lccconnect.org. To find more information about our athletic program, visit lccstars.com. Thanks for listening. Go, Go Stars!
This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.